really is great to have you here. Um, hope you just enjoy being part of us this morning. Um, we'd love to chat to you and say hi and get to know you at the end, so please do stick around. If you would like to turn to Ephesians, we're back in Ephesians this morning. And back in chapter 1. If you remember last week, just as we opened this book, we said that in Ephesians, um, the Apostle Paul wants you to know that your life, in fact, God wants you to know that your life is bound up in something so much bigger than yourself. And we're really going to see that this morning as we get going, um, looking again at the same verses we did last week, that your life is bound up in something bigger than yourself or myself. So again, turn to the person next to you, poke them in the eye nicely and say, your life is bound up in Christ in something so much bigger than yourself. Good. So Father, we pray that as we just come to your word, we pray that that would be a truth that rings in our hearts this morning as we go from this place. Lord, that it is all about you and what you have done and what you are doing, but that our hearts would rejoice that we are caught up in something or someone so much greater than ourselves. Amen. So I'm going to read um, just from verses 3 to 14 again, so if you want to follow along in your Bibles, do so. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, that's the beloved, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth. And in him, that's Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And in him you also When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise 
of his glory. Amen. Amen. This, these short verses, these 11 verses are so incredibly jam-packed. I mean, we, we could literally spend months and years just in these verses. And what Paul is expressing here is the very heart of the gospel. Of what God has done in Christ. To bring us to him. To unite all things together in Christ. For his glory. And this is, the, this is Paul just right off at the start of this letter to the Ephesians. Firing a salvo going, here's the gospel church. Here's the power of God to save and rescue and redeem lost things to himself. This is the gospel, the power of the gospel, Paul is saying. But I want us this morning to notice that the gospel isn't simply once I was lost and now I'm found because Jesus um, took on human flesh. He became like one of us and lived among us and died, lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we should have died and was raised to life by the power of the Spirit, defeating sin and death and sickness and Satan. Absolutely, that's the gospel. But the gospel is bigger than that. The gospel is a Trinitarian gospel. And right, let's make it clear, the Trinity is Father, Son, and Spirit. And the Apostle Paul is writing to the Ephesians saying, this gospel in which you believed, don't forget the God who who it is who you worship and what he's like. He's totally different from every other God. He's a standalone God. He is far higher in who he is, not just what he's done. And so the God that we worship, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is Father, Son, and Spirit. Our God is a trinity. And so this morning, I want to look at what that means for us, what that means for our worship, what that means for us as a community, what that means as Paul talks about salvation. Because sometimes I wonder... I don't know about you, but I think we can be a bit blasé about God. And sometimes in the way we pray or the way we talk, we're a bit confused of, we, yes, we love God. And sometimes we talk about him as Father, and sometimes we talk about him as the Son, and sometimes we talk about him as the Spirit. But Paul here is so clear for us on, this is your God, church. This is, this is the God of ages past, eternal, from eternity to eternity. And Paul wants us to be so clear on who our God is because it has massive consequences for who we are and how we live and how we worship and serve and love as God's people. Amen? So we're, gonna, we're just going to look at God this morning alongside salvation. And my heart is that our, our, our heart rejoices in God this morning. And I wonder we've got some learning to do on this. It came out, it doesn't matter who said it, it's not the point, but often week by week we, we're praying, whether it's in small groups or personally or, or in times like this, and we kind of pray like, Father God, Spirit, God, Father, in the name of the Father God, Jesus. And, and, I, and actually, Paul wants us to be really clear on who we are praying to and in whose name we pray and in what power we pray. He wants us to be really clear on the God who we worship. And there is nothing better, actually, that we can do as God's people than look at him 
and behold his majesty and his love. Because it's not, Paul doesn't just want us to know information about God. He's not just saying, look, just be clear on who your God is as opposed to who the Muslim God is or who uh, the Sikhs worship or the pantheon of gods of our age. He's not saying just, just be clear on the God that you worship just so that you can say, oh no, he's different. He's saying it really matters who God is because it really matters to salvation. Because it really matters to what God's people look like in worship. So, this verse, sorry, these verses are incredibly helpfully structured for us to quickly see how the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, is actually, all of them are involved in our, in our salvation. They're all involved in our salvation. And it's not that, let's just make something clear about the Trinity. It's not that sometimes God is Father, and sometimes He's the Son, and sometimes He's the Holy Spirit. No, our God is three persons. He always has been, always is, and always will be God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He's three persons in one being. And that's, what we, that's the word we use for Trinity to try and express it. And sometimes we have these slightly unhelpful analogies of ice, water, steam, or those kinds of things. And, and, and I get what we're trying to do, but, but here we're going to see how God is involved in your salvation. And so these, these verses, it's like a three... I don't know if any of you watched any of the proms. Um, I'm not doing very well because nobody watched the... Has anybody started watching the volcano? For goodness sake. Did anybody, anybody watch any of the proms? Good. Um, and, and you know, like in the, in just in classical music, you just have your movements within in pieces of music. You have your first movement and your second movement. Well, this is like a symphony, these verses of God's salvation in three movements. And each part of the movement is actually um, facilitated by a different member of the Trinity. So Ephesians 3 to 6. You just read it, and it talks about how salvation originated with the Father. Listen to this. He chose us. That's the Father. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Not, oh no, everything's gone wrong. How am I going to rescue some people? You, Christian, were chosen by the Father's will even before the world was created. What, what an amazing, mind-blowing thought that God chose you. Before he had made and created anything, he chose you. In love, he predestined you for adoption as sons through to himself, through Jesus Christ. And he did all of that according to the purpose of his will. Now listen to this, to the praise of his glorious grace. Movement one, done. God the Father predestined you. He chose you. Under your choosing of God was God's choosing of you. A bit before you were born. In eternity past, God chose you. What a privilege. And so the Father is like the administrator. He's the initiator of salvation. And he has called you and he chose you. And he oversees the whole process from beginning to end. And then we come on to movement two, the Son. And we see that 
The Father has made the Son the, the centerpiece of all of salvation history. And the centerpiece of all of salvation history was 2,000 years ago on a cross and in a tomb that the Son gave his life. And so listen to this second movement. Verses 7 to 12. In him, that's the Son, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. Our trespasses have been forgiven according to the immeasurable riches of his undeserved grace that he has lavished upon us. And in the Son, God has made known to us the mystery of his will by revealing who he is. Jesus is the revelation of God to us. God taken on flesh, come and lived among us. And the purpose was to unite all things in Jesus, things in heaven and on earth. I just want to jump to one day. One day when we are dead and buried, maybe, or even before we die, Jesus will return. He is a returning king. And at that point, he is going to gather all things together for himself. And what's going to happen is not that you go off to this floaty place called heaven and have some ethereal existence for eternity. And you're not quite sure, am I floating? Have I got substance? Am I? No, there's bodily resurrection. Good. It matters. We don't just have this vague hope of the future. We have a hope of bodily resurrection. Resurrection bodies where there is no more aches and pains and sickness and illness and suffering. That's our future hope because we are in Christ and he has risen from the grave. But as Jesus unites all things, actually our hope is heaven on earth. We, we talk about, Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done as it is in heaven here on earth. Well, one day Jesus goes, it's done. It's done. Heaven and earth. Heaven on earth. God among his people forever and ever and ever. Amen. That's our future hope. And it's substance. It's real. It's, it's a renewed earth. It's made all, Jesus is making all things new, including God's desire to dwell among his people. And Jesus bought us with his precious blood. Amen. And you see, it's through him that salvation is realized. It's achieved through Jesus' blood. He has made a new and living way, we're told. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because I and the Father are one. And it's through Jesus that we come into full relationship with the Father as his sons by birthright. And women, that includes you too. In, back in the day of Jesus, back in the day of Paul, to be a son, the oldest son, was to inherit the birthright, was to inherit the estate, was to inherit everything. And Jesus is our older brother who's inherited everything. And he says, I, I share it with you. And then we come to the final movement, the spirit. This final movement. Let's just look at how the spirit works in our salvation. Listen to this. 
In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the good news concerning Christ Jesus, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Um, Just hear my heart on this. Not just that you can have fun church meetings. Not just so that God is in your midst as you gather, although he is. And we want to have times where we just have joy and laughter and rejoice in the presence of God. Absolutely we do. But you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, listen to this, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit, he is the guarantee, the deposit, the down payment, the sealing of the promise of God. Your salvation, he is seeing it through to the day that Jesus returns. It's not you, Christian, trying to walk the tightrope. That is not the Christian life. The Christian life is this. I am a guy who makes mistakes left, right, and center. My heart is all over the place. My mind is all over the place. I sin, and I have to go back to God and say, God, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Get me going again in your grace and mercy. And God goes, you've got the Spirit. And he teaches you, and he leads you, and he reminds you of the truth of who I am, and that you are loved, son, daughter. And he's going he's gonna to continue to, to breathe on you and be in you and indwell you with my presence and power until the day that I return to gather you, my bride, to myself. And the Spirit changes us from the inside. The Spirit does a work of transformation in our lives. Now, I hope that you saw in each of those movements, it finishes with this refrain, to the praise of his glorious grace, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. Now, this is why it matters what we believe about who God is. Because salvation for us as Christians, sometimes I wonder that what we do is we say, I've made it in. I've made it. The ship... I saw it sailing and I ran and I jumped on it and I've made it. I'm in. And we kind of go, yes, I made it. Wow, thank you, God, but I made it. I made it and good old me, I made it. I I saw God and I saw that he was offering salvation and I, I ran to him and I made it. Even though we read that, no, the Father as we as we sung about and read and prayed about earlier, he ran to you when you were far off and lost and dead in your sin. The father ran to you and he called you and he embraced you and he kissed you and he killed the fatted calf for you and he celebrated with his friends over your salvation. Yes, that you get to enjoy the goodness of God. Yes, that you get to be united back into relationship with him. Yes, that you get to be united into his family. This is a real family, by the way. We're not just like a family. We're a real family. We're God's family. And we're an expression of that here in this town, in our homes as we open our homes to one another. We're God's family. We're God's chosen people adopted into his family. And God says, your salvation... Not only is this verse all about Jesus, but it's actually to the praise of his 
glory. Salvation is to the praise of the glory of God. It's Godward. It's not simply now that you are saved, worship him. Salvation points to the glory of God. It points to the mystery of God that he was uniting all things in Christ. That was his eternal plan. That this is our God. And this is what's incredible about this. That the Father sent the Son and the Spirit as part of the plan of salvation to, to gather a people, to win a people, to purchase a people for himself. And one day Jesus is going to say to the Father, Father, this is for your glory. I mean, he did that on the cross. He said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And so it matters about salvation that the Trinity is at work in salvation to the praises of the glory of God. I just want to read from John chapter 17 for us because I want us to understand what this eternal relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit looks like. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and the Jesus Christ whom you have sent, Christ, the anointed one with the Spirit, the one who's been anointed by the Spirit. That's a Trinitarian verse there. And this, sorry, we've just read that bit. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This Father, Son, and Spirit relationship. Three persons, one God, was in existence before the creation of the world. There never was a time when God was not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, glorifying in one another, reveling in one another's love and goodness, and and just uh, giving of oneself, and and honoring of oneself, and, and the Father taking a lead, and the Spirit taking like a subservient role to the glory of the Father to magnify King Jesus, and this interplay between them of glorifying, and honoring, and delighting, and dwelling in and with one another was before even the foundation of the world. And the Trinity for all eternity has delighted in, has shared in the joy of one another. They've preferred one another. They've celebrated one another. This has always been so. This is who our God is and it matters. Because when Paul is saying, and now you are in Christ. You have been purchased. He's saying you have been brought into this relationship. To be adopted into God's family is to be adopted and brought into this Trinitarian relationship. You now get to share in the love and the the outflow of love of who God is and what he's like. He's even put the indwelling of his spirit, his very presence, God the Holy Spirit, in you, church. And he causes the church to be a dwelling place, a living temple of 
his presence. And it's out of this Trinitarian relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, that one day God created. And the Trinity was present in creation. In the beginning, God, that's the Father, created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said the word of God, Jesus Christ, let there be light, and there was light. And all through the Old Testament, we see that there is, there's, these, there's these early pictures of God as Trinity. And you come to verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, and, it, and God says, let us make man in our image. It's another pointing to the Trinity. It seems like God wants us to know that he is a Trinitarian God, that he is Father, Son, and Spirit. It's not just some terms that we sometimes refer to. It is who our God is. And in Ephesians, the first three and a half chapters, the Apostle Paul is pointing to this Trinitarian God seven times before he even says, now you've got to do this, church, in light of this. It's like God really wants us to know that he is Father, Son, and Spirit. That is our God. That is who our God is. That's the one that we worship. That's why it matters what we believe. Because if you think of it like this, it's not the easiest of doctrines to get your head around. We have these rubbish ideas and... Well, not rubbish. I get why we do them. But, you know, ice cube, water, steam. God's a bit like that. He's a bit like an egg, a shell, the yolk, and the white. And, and none of them actually work. Because God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Not an egg, thank goodness. And... And it's a complicated doctrine. You worship who? Who's your God? Oh, he's, he's Jesus and, yeah, Father, and there's a trinity. And we, we kind of, it doesn't motivate us to talk to people about who our God is. In, and we kind of do God. Oh, yeah, I, I love God. And Jesus has saved me. But our God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it matters. Because it means that our God has always been loving there never was a time when our God wasn't loving. There never was a time when our God wasn't giving of himself to someone else. Our God has never been lacking, and out of that, he created. And so if you take the Muslim God, where they say, well, our God is one, Allah, there was a time for Muslims where they would have to say, Allah had nothing to love. If Allah created the world and the heavens... There was a time when he had nothing to love because it was him. But the God of the Bible tells us that our God has always been a loving, giving God of himself. It is who he is. He was lacking nothing before he created you and I. And that's a really good thing to know that God doesn't actually need us to complete himself. He doesn't need us to complete himself. He is the I am. So why does it matter as we finish? I'm just going to read two scriptures to us. And I want you to put yourself into these stories. Because being in Christ means you've been 
caught up into this. So Isaiah 61. Jesus said this speaking of himself. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Spirit, Father, Son. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Christian, the spirit of God, the Father, has been poured out and has filled you because your heavenly Father has anointed you to take the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son, to the poor. It, the Trinity shapes our life. It should do. It shapes what we do with our finance. It shapes how we love one another and how we display that. And in Mark 1, the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus came up out of the water after being baptized, immediately he, the Son, saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descended upon him like a dove and a voice from heaven came and said, You, my Son, are the Christ. You are the Spirit-anointed one. The Son of the living Father. And Christian, that's true for you. What's true for Jesus is true for you because you are in Christ. When you came up out of your baptism water, and today the Father speaks over you, and he says this to you. The heavens are opened over you because a new and living way has been made. And the Spirit has descended upon you like a dove and he has filled you with his presence. You are indwelt as a sign and a seal guaranteeing your inheritance. And a voice comes from heaven and says to you, you are my beloved son and with you I'm well pleased. You see, Jesus gives us a shape of sonship and so that's true for us also. And just a bit further in Ephesians, it says that through Jesus we both, that's Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. We have access to the Father because of Jesus, by the Spirit, through him, in him, and to him. And a bit later we're going to see in coming weeks that in Ephesians chapter 2 it says, In him you are also the church being built together as a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You are a dwelling place. In him, for him, and by him. So let's stand, and I just want to pray. And we're going to finish now, but in your groups, if you'd like to, you can share communion together. Um, You don't have to rush off. And I want to pray for us that in these days, that our vision of who our God is would enlarge. What this world doesn't need is churches trying to be clever in these days. I think we've tried that and been found wanting. What this world needs, what Swindon needs, what your neighbor needs, what your husband or wife who doesn't know Jesus need 
is that you are captivated with a vision of God that is so much bigger than simply, I've got a ticket to heaven one day. No, you have been brought into this, this, this movement of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and the delighting, and giving, and loving, and receiving, and sending, and blessing, and rejoicing in one another. And Christian, you have been purchased into that relationship now and for all eternity. And it will never get boring. When Paul says the riches of his grace, that word riches contains a sense of it's immeasurable. So immeasurable that it's going to flow into eternity and it's never going to run out. In fact, it increases. Because as God gives of himself, love increases and and the glory of God increases. And so eternity is going to be God becomes greater and we become more enamored with him. And so we might as well start now becoming enamored with our God. Amen? And I tell you, a people who are captivated with a vision of their God, Father, Son, and Spirit are a people who the world takes note of. Wow, you know the living God. Yeah, I do. So, Father, we pray right now for one another. In the name of Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, that you would open the eyes of our heart. And Paul, I just, uh, Phil, so Paul, Phil, I just wonder if you can put those verses up. And we're just going to read this out together with big voices. This is a prayer that Paul prays in chapter 3 for the Ephesians, okay? Everyone join in. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, it's kind of working, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What a Trinitarian verse, Scripture, that that is Paul's prayer for the church. And so come, Holy Spirit, fill us afresh today. Give us fresh vision of your glory and your might and your power. That You are the God of eternity to eternity. From age to age, you are unchanging. Church, you have access to the Father because the Son made a way and you are filled with the spirit that guarantees that one day he will say to you welcome come and inherit everything I've prepared for you and I pray father for us as a community may may your love grow in our hearts that our love may grow to you and to one another and to our neighbor for your glory we pray this as your people in this generation Amen. Thank you, guys. Um, I'm well aware we're over. My apologies, but 
Don't rush off. Break bread together. Jesus gave his body and his blood as a means of atonement for our sin. That exactly what we've been talking about. You can know God. And so celebrate that with one another. If you need to confess sin, if you need to get yourself right with somebody else, do that before you break bread. If you don't know Jesus, I'd ask you to sit this one out. But do come and talk to me or somebody you've come with. We'd love to talk to you about him. And then maybe this morning would be the day that you say, I want that relationship. But great to be with you. See you soon.